Has gun violence become a bigger issue? Some fallout from the Dallas mall shooting? And how ridiculous tipping culture has become? Topics are covered this week on the Controversial Mind Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the Controversial Mind Podcast. Now we're going to go ahead and get straight to the point with the first topic here. There was a shooting at the Allen Premier Outlets Mall in Allen, Texas. Uh, Allen, Texas is a suburb of Dallas, um, which is sits about 25 miles north. Uh, this happened on May 6th, and unfortunately, eight people were left killed. Uh, that was until the gunman was killed by a police officer. That is quite a shocking story that has uh, happened over the course of the weekend. And what makes this so significant is that, while tragic, it showed yet another example of how we are becoming desensitized to gun violence in this nation. According to ABC News, at least 13,959 people in the U.S. have been killed by gun violence since 2020, or in 2023, excuse me, and it's only May. And this is honestly quite unbelievable. Only May we're not even halfway through the year, and we have almost 14,000 deaths related to uh, gun violence. And uh, yet, in this socio-political war uh, that's continuing to rage on, on whether or not we should be more strict with the Second Amendment, uh, it really brings to, to light again the argument that, you know, there are you know, definitely two sides to this. One side stating that we should be more restrictive and one side stating that we should be less restrictive. Uh, you know, to put these deaths into perspective, there have been, a, there have been 190 mass shootings this year alone in this country. Um, and this is according to the Gun Violence Archive, uh, which is at gunviolencearchive.org. And in these uh, shootings, uh, mass shootings and not, just gun-related violence in general, there have been 11,000 injuries, over 11,000 injuries, excuse me, that have re occurred as a result of this gun violence. Now, this has a question, you know, and the question that remains is, what, what can be done? What can be done about this uh, gun violence? And to be honest with you, it's, it, it is indeed a fair question. Because we are starting to see uh, record gun violence, record violence from the use of guns. Um, and we're not, like I said earlier, you know, we're not even halfway through 2023. Uh, you know, kind of give you an example. According to uh, the Gun Violence Archive, in, two, in 2022, we saw, as far as deaths are concerned, we saw only roughly 20,000 gun-related deaths that were not suicide. And that was by the end of the year 2022. We're not talking, you know, by May of last year at the same time. No, we're talking 
literally over the course of those 12 months, only 20,000. We are in 2023. We're in May. We're at the beginning of May. And we are sitting at almost 14,000. And I emphasize 14,000 to make a point. We're not halfway through, and yet we have already almost 75% of uh, the total gun deaths that happened in 2022. That's not even including the statistics from 2021. I didn't even uh, pull those up. But if you want, you can definitely check those out at thegunarchive.org. And uh, you, should, you can go check out this information for yourself. This is not something that should be seen as acceptable. You know, uh, talk, I talked to a few of my buddies, and many, many of them are pro-gun enthusiasts. And not just buddies, but you can read this online, too, that a lot of pro-gun enthusiasts, you know, think that one of the best answers to this is giving more, uh, giving people, excuse me, giving people more access or easier access, I should say, to guns um, as the problem can be solved that way and keep people safer. Their biggest argument for this happens to be that, you know, if we have citizens, uh, law-abiding citizens, if you will, that are armed with weapons on them, whether they're allowed to conceal carry or open carry, that's not really the issue there, is that they can be the ones that are there to stop gun violence before it happens. Now, I sit here and when I think about that argument, I go, can you really stop gun violence before it happens? And there is not a real clear-cut answer to that. Unfortunately, I can't say yes. Um, you know, there is a, a video online uh, of a woman, uh, and I, I wish I could tell you. I think this happened. Uh, I think this happened in New York. It was one of the major cities. Now, this this video is, mind you, a couple of years old now, and uh, she's picking up her kid from school, and this uh, man comes up uh, in the school zone and pulls out a gun. And he points it at some other woman. And this lady, she pulls out a gun from her purse and shoots the guy three times on the chest. And uh, for, if I remember correctly, he ended up living. But obviously he got uh, in trouble for bringing a gun with the intent to kill someone on school property. And there was no repercussions for the woman because she was uh, defending the children, according to the police and the uh, school administration. Um, like I said, I wish I could tell you what city that was uh but you google you uh you google uh woman uh kill uh woman pulls gun in school zone to save kids and uh it'll pull up for you uh so anyways with that video uh that you know that that is a strong argument for you know why people should have easier access to guns be able to carry guns on them um now i'm not saying that I completely agree with this argument, but that is definitely one piece of evidence that can be used to support the argument for uh, making easier access to guns. Um, well, you know, anti-gun enthusiasts, and I have a few friends that are, uh, but while anti-gun enthusiasts feel that guns need to be taken off the streets, um, and if they're not taken off the streets, there definitely needs to be stricter regulations. And we've seen some of these throughout the last a few years from, you know, I'll cite as far back as 2016 uh, on where we're seeing uh, municipalities banning, uh, we are seeing municipalities ban uh, assault-style uh, rifles, you know, AR-15s, um, M4s, 
anything that looks like an assault rifle is being banned in its entirety. And the NRA and Second Amendment uh, activists have uh, objected so strongly to this because they feel that that means their gun rights are being taken away. Now, you know, I'm not the one who created the Second Amendment, but uh, we could cover this in a different day in more detail. But the Second Amendment does allow the right to bear arms, but it does also uh, mean that we have to have it, you know, uh, well-regulated, not just, well, you have access to any kind of gun you want. You know, uh, it is not legal for most, and as far as I know, I've, now I could be wrong in some municipalities, but as far as I know in the United States, there's not one area that allows uh, fully automatic weapons. Can people own fully automatic weapons? Yes, and I'm sure there are that do. And there is intricacies as to why they would, and I won't get into that right at this moment. But you can't own a, you can't purchase, excuse me, legally purchase a fully automatic weapon, as far as I know. I could be mistaken. And if you're listening to this and you're going, well, no, my area allows us, you know, go ahead and make sure you just drop me a line about that and I can always uh, correct myself later. And I have no issues doing that. But, you know, there are some styles of weapons that aren't allowed to be owned. And a lot of municipalities banning assault rifle style weapons is not taking away people's abilities to own guns. It's just restricting what kind of guns people can own. And it is due uh, heavily to the fact that a lot of these uh, shootings, a lot of these mass shootings, the gunmen are carrying assault rifle styled weapons. So politicians look at, well, that's the bad guy. It's, to be honest with you, it's probably not the gun itself that's the uh, perpetrator in this. And I'm going to never blame a gun for it because it's really an inanimate object until someone picks it up. I always blame the people holding the gun, but that's my personal opinion. Not that everyone has to agree with this, right? But for the anti-gun enthusiasts that feel guns need to be taken off the street or uh, at least more heavily regulated, there's just uh, there's good and strong evidence with these mass shootings that have happened far more frequently to support this argument. And, you know, let's go back to the Dallas Mall shooting here for a second. One of the things that infuriates me the most is when I see responses, and, and I'll call them half-assed responses, from our politicians. Now, you know, I don't know if Greg Abbott's your politician or not, uh, if he's your governor, I mean, but uh, Greg Abbott is the governor of Texas, and he's one of those huge, you know, let's go ahead and give everyone access to guns type of people. And he gave an extremely half-assed response. Now, this isn't the whole response, but he made a statement and the big takeaway from this tweet is that our hearts are with the people of Allen, Texas tonight during this unspeakable tragedy. That is some who gives a damn statement. Now, I understand politicians don't typically care about, you know, us as little people. But Governor Greg Abbott probably, had, because of his beliefs, probably has helped uh, create a culture we're, you know, we believe in, you know, protecting certain rights, but overly so without providing a lot of regulation. Now, there isn't a lot of information yet on the gunman, and I'm sure 
there will be a lot more as the days come along. But, you know, what, what did the gun, did, you know, were the guns uh, purchased legally? Were they grabbed illegally? Were they gay? Were they, uh, excuse me, were they purchased uh, through bits and pieces off the internet? I don't know. Uh, that information wasn't currently available at the time. And unfortunately, there is uh, still no motive for this. With that being said, you know, I'm not entirely sure if more uh, restrictive gun laws are the answer, though. Because uh, here's the thing. The people who will commit crimes will always find a way to commit the crime, regardless of the law or the consequence. This is just fact. You know, some people can argue all they want for stricter background checks, which, you know, these are fine, but they're only going to catch the people who've already been caught or identified in the system. They're only going to catch criminals that have already been caught. They're only going to catch people that have these mental diseases that prohibit them from purchasing weapons if they've already been um, identified with this. It's not going to catch those who haven't done anything yet, who haven't been put into the system yet. And that's my biggest argument against making stricter background checks. Thinking about it logically, you know, um, you know, for those who want more strict gun control, you know, I do apologize. But it's the truth. When you think about it, people who are going to break the law are just going to break the law regardless. And no amount of uh, regulation, no amount of checks is going to catch a criminal that hasn't been caught yet. And I'm not saying that the laws are there to make good people bad people, but bad people are going to do bad things or people are going to make mistakes and get caught doing the wrong thing. And then they become criminals, you know, different argument, different day, but it hasn't, they're not going to catch those who haven't been identified as uh, a person who shouldn't own a weapon yet. On the other side, you know, thinking about these checks, there's not any regulation that I'm aware of. You know, I tried to do some uh, extensive research on this. And I couldn't find anything um, stating that uh, there, you know, there's any particular regulation on purchasing gun parts. You know, a person can easily go online and purchase stocks, barrels, grips, triggers, assemblies, uh, you know, etc., and put together a gun without any form of a background check, as far as I've been able to verify. Uh, you know, which means you can go online, you can go to an online store that sells these gun parts, buy everything you need to assemble, say, a pistol or an assault rifle, and even if you don't know how, you can still assemble it. And all you need, really, to be able to do this is the internet, the website to be able to purchase it, and YouTube. And I say YouTube because people can learn just about anything on YouTube. Uh, especially if they don't know how to assemble a weapon. There is plenty of videos on YouTube that will show you how to assemble, disassemble, and reassemble a weapon. You know, And that's just one example of how people can attain weapons without having to purchase it from a gun store or a, a store online that sells a whole gun, which means it has to be registered, background checks have to be done. You know, this doesn't include the illegal firearm sellers that are out there. It doesn't include uh, uh, the black market. It doesn't include people that will go steal guns from other people. It doesn't include any of that. It just It's just one example, you know, because this argument is a double-edged argument, you know, because there's good arguments and bad arguments on both sides. You know, personally, I think that is every American's right to own a gun. However, maybe when we look at the regulation piece, maybe we should be looking at regulations that don't leave open-ended loopholes for people to exploit. Yet, as I say that, I realize that, you know, this is just a fantasy. Um, you know, I can go on about this topic all day. Uh, I'm sure any of us could, but, you know, we'll cover this more in detail.
uh, as you know time goes on. Now, you know, going into the next topic today, we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, another issue that's been going on: it's tipping culture. And I know we've all seen it, and we've all gone out to restaurants, we've all gone out to these uh, places, we've been to bars, we've been to dealing with uh, service industry workers, uh, and some retail, not all, but some. And you know, when you go to pay, one question you get asked on that receipt, um, and, and I guess it's not a formal question. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It says tip. And sometimes at the bottom of these receipts, or sometimes in these little prompts on the kiosks, it says, you know, 10%, 15%, 20%, etc. with the dollar amount. Has tipping culture gotten out of hand? Well, you know, we need to dive into this a little bit. See, tipping has been has been a customary thing in many societies uh, since, you know, before our time, back in ancient time. See, it is, uh, tipping has been something. Egyptians used to tip on, um, you know, certain, I can't say service, but they used to tip certain uh types of people provided certain services in gold um the english and when i say the english i mean like you know people from the united kingdom the british uh would offer ale as a, a form of a tip to good service when they went to taverns um you know I, people do in, in relation to today when you think about that uh you know when you've got these people at bars hey you know buy yourself a shot on me that is essentially a form of tipping. It's maybe not monetary because when we think of tipping, we think of more uh, people handing over uh, cash or, uh, you know, jotting down the uh, dollar amount or jotting down the dollar amount on uh, the receipt at the end of the uh, service before we uh, finish paying and leaving. But, you know, buying a person a shot would be considered uh, a form of a tip. You know, so like I said, the British used to do that too uh, for good service in taverns. You know, that's why I said it's uh, this is something that's evolved into what we now know today as uh, gratuity or tipping. You know, gratuity, not to insult anyone's intelligence here, is another uh, another word for tipping. Now, some people do argue that giving tips uh, is an essential is essential when trying to boost low wage workers' incomes. Uh, because they believe that since these individuals are often paid minimum wage or less, which, you know, I'll get into the dollar amounts on that here in a little bit, that some instances, their livelihoods do depend on earning tips from customers. And this is true. You can see, go on to online. You can find this when you go through your Facebook feeds. You can find this through uh, just Googling it, you know, tales from service workers about how much they make. And you will see a good majority, it typically is uh, servers. Um, we're not going to call them waiters, but we're going to call them servers, right? Because that's what they are nowadays. Servers and bartenders, people that are in the food service industry, typically are the most affected by this. That, you know, their livelihood does depend on tips, and, and they would like the customary 20% tip. Uh, some people argue 15, some people argue 20. Uh, you know, uh, I'll tell you from my experience that 20% is technically customary. Uh, not that everyone tips it, not that it's a requirement, but that's a different argument for a different day. Now, a lot of these, like I said, in these stories, you'll find that people say that they do rely heavily on these tips. And that's fine. It is perfectly okay that they uh, rely on them. But I don't like the fact that they have to rely on them, right? Now, we're going to go ahead and uh, continue on about this, right? So, you know... These employees, you know, their livelihood, a lot of them depends on these tips. You know, 
on the other side of the argument, it can be argued that without these gratuity payments, many service industry workers uh, or these industries, service industries, excuse me, would not uh, attract, you know, sufficiently skilled uh, or uh, positively motivated employees that can deliver the excellent customer service. Now, I say this, right, because a lot of people will tip, will tip based on how the service was. And that can be looked at as whether it's being fair or not to the person that's actually providing the service because it really depends. So you at a restaurant, I'll use a server at a restaurant, for example, right? And you go to Chili's, find a server at a restaurant, and your burger comes in. You order a burger, you order uh, with medium well or pink or however uh, they say it should be, you know, they give you the option of it being ordered at a restaurant. Every restaurant does their own thing, but we'll just say uh, you ask for it uh, medium, right, which is a little pink. And it comes in completely well done. Now you're upset because you have a, a your burger's not cooked properly. So you whether you decide to send your burger back is not the point. People will typically blame that on the server. And the server is not the one who goes and cooks the food. I think most people can generally recognize that. But the server is the middle person. Uh, the middle person. The go-to person. The scapegoat, if you will. The one that's going to end up taking the blame uh, for the service, for the food, long before anyone else will. Uh, and bartenders, uh, you know, for those that are bartenders or have been bartenders listening, you may relate to this, but sorry, you're kind of the short end of the stick. You're the one making the drink. So if you provide a terrible drink, that's kind of your fault. And if you're going to sit there and say, well, it's not my fault. Well, okay, maybe it's the bar's fault. Maybe it's uh, the establishment's fault because they don't have recipes or they got bad recipes. I can't say. But if, you're, if they have good recipes in place, you're not following. It's your fault if you're making a bad drink. Sorry, but that's just the truth. So as I was saying, though, you know, these um, uh, these uh, servers t- end up being the scapegoats here. You know, so when you look at it, does it really attract, you know, the sufficiently skilled or properly motivated employees if they are receiving tips? Uh, you know, a lot of it can be said yes or no, but, you know, does that mean that they should get paid a, pr- a decent wage or they should they get tips or should they get the combination of the two? Uh, we'll talk about that here more in a, in a moment. Okay. Uh, you know, there are, though, uh, criticisms, uh, the, cr- the critics uh, with their criticisms of the tipping culture. And some, believe, uh, some people believe that uh, tip-seeking uh, contact conduct, excuse me, uh, you know, it's intrusive and it takes away from the authenticity of interactions uh, between customers and the uh, restaurant or the uh, service that they're uh, receiving, you know, uh, and a lot of that can be true because you, some people will turn on extra charm if they have this bias that they're going to get a good tip from someone, you know, um, I've I've gone to a restaurant where all I wanted to do was get an appetizer and a dessert, an appetizer and a dessert. That's all I ordered. And I got some really god awful service. But then the times I've gone in and I've ordered appetizer, I've ordered entree, I've ordered dessert, I've had multiple people with me, I've gotten the drinks, I've gotten alcohol, and and the service it just shines. Now, that could be dependent on the server. So it, in each of those examples that I used from myself personally was two different servers. However, you know, I always wonder the few times that I go in, you know, am I getting treated differently when I don't order what it could be perceived as a high tipping uh, 
what could be perceived as a high tipping uh, type of uh, order. Now, I'm personally one of those individuals. I always end up tipping about 20% anyways. Unless the service is exceptionally awful, then, I, then I'll tip less than 20. But I always base it off of the server. I don't ever base it off of the uh, cooker outlying factors that my server has absolutely no control over. BOGMA, we all have our different ways of doing things. Criticize me for my how I handle it. I don't care. That's your prerogative. You know, um, and as I'm saying, you know, others can see the, you know, tipping, the, um, you know, it's as an arbitrary payment system where customers have to pay the server salary for them because the restaurants, uh, the companies don't want to put out the money. And, um, and then some do it just because they want to flaunt their wealth. And that's just, that's just the truth, you know. Um, and some people listen to this, and I've read this a little bit here, and I've heard people make this argument. You know, other countries, uh, Asian culture, European culture, typically doesn't do the whole tipping thing. And it's weird when, uh, when Americans go overseas and they try and give someone a tip and they get looked at funny because, you know, we're so used to tipping in our country. But overseas, not so much. You know, some European countries, uh, you know, Germany and France, for example, Germany and France, you know, their wait staff, their servers tend to receive a higher base wage, um, and some of them still accept uh, tips. Um, and they take it more as a compliment than, oh, hey, this isn't a way for me to pay my bills. Um, so it's acceptable still in some cultures, but most countries that are not the U.S. are actually paying decent minimum wage. Not all, but most, and I do say most. Uh, I think the only other ones that are similar to us right now are uh, Canada and uh, the United Kingdom. And those are the only two I could actually confirm. Um, but hey, you know, be as it may, other cult uh, other countries, other cultures uh, do have their own way of doing things. You know, um, you know, honestly, whether the tipping is good or bad, it's really going to depend on your perspective. Uh, because arguments can be made for both uh, sides of this uh, issue, especially when we're considering, you know, our uh, societal, uh, economic, and cultural factors. Uh, you know, I understand tipping is a highly debated uh, topic, you know, especially here in this country. Um, you know, and with the current system, you know, tipping is just going to remain in effect until there's something done. You know. I'll tell you what I think makes tipping the kid tipping culture worse now is that almost every business though, you know, and I meant alluded to this earlier in this topic. What I think makes the tipping culture worse now is that almost every business that you walk into, um, and some, like I said, some retailers are getting, this is not just being confined to, uh, the food service industry anymore. I saw it at a, uh, I saw it at an auto shop. It was a local auto shop. Um, when I was over there, um, a few months ago, I saw it at um, a food service, of course. I see it there. And I can't remember which uh, retailer it is. There was a retailer in my local area where I saw it as well and asked for a tip. You know, most every business that we're walking into nowadays, when you're paying, one of the next questions, one of the things you see on the tip, uh, on, on the receipt says tip or how much tip would you, or how much would you like to tip? And, you know, I think that's terrible. I mean... You know, I understand, you know, what I was talking about earlier, you know, I do understand that we are indeed in a recession. Whether anyone wants to acknowledge the fact that we're in a recession or not, that's up to them. You know, economists will, the current economists on the news will disagree with me, but 
let's face it, take a look at this compared to 2008. We're in a recession, all right? I get we're in this recession. Prices have gone up. Inflation's gone out of control. Wages have not really followed. I get some uh, some uh, governments, some states are doing $15 an hour. They've raised minimum wage. But the problem is that pay's gone up. So have the costs and the prices because these companies are, oh, if I have to pay that, I'm going to pass the cost on to the uh, people because you wanted it. Now you get to pay for it. What, what I, what I have a problem with, you know, I think that if enough employees uh, become tipped, I fear that it, what I fear is that it's going to allow companies to list their employees as, you know, tipped based uh, salaries or tip based pay uh, employees, which means that all they are required to pay. And now I'm going to say federally, every state will do their own, uh, will do their own thing when it comes to uh, pay, when it comes to tipped employees. So I'm going to talk about just the federal. You know, uh, in a lot of states, I think uh, a lot of states follow the federal guideline on this. You know, uh, companies will list their employees as tip-based employees, which means that they only, federally speaking, will have to pay their employees $2.13 an hour. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier in this topic. Now here I'm talking about the money piece, the dollar amount. $2.13 an hour. If you're a tipped employee, that is all your employer is required to pay you. Because... The rest of your pay should be coming from your tips. However, when you are not tipped enough to make the federal minimum wage, and I say federal because I know states do their own thing. We're just talking federal. Your pay gets increased to $7.25 an hour. And if people, if companies switch their employees to being considered tip-based employees, they can change their pay to two dollars and 13 cents an hour and if they're not hitting minimum wage based on tips all they have to do is pay them seven dollars and 25 cents an hour federally speaking and that would end up clearing a lot of free room in most organizations payrolls and that is extremely a disgusting thought to think about and that's a large reason why i don't believe in the tipping uh culture i think tipping has gotten out of hand and I, you know, some workers are going to end up getting tipped by me regardless because I know uh, bartenders aren't making, you know, minimum wage. Servers aren't making minimum wage. Most people in the food industry of some sort form or another are not going to make minimum wage like that. At least we'll consider them frontline the face of the businesses. But as these companies do that, businesses are not stupid. I fear, like I said, I fear that they're going to end up t turning their employees into tip-based, and I wish you could hear my air quotes on that, but I'm putting air quotes on tip-based employees, which means they don't have to pay uh, their employees as much, and they can rely on their uh, tips for their pay. You know, uh, like I was saying, you know, I personally think that the tipping culture has indeed gotten out of hand, and it does need to stop. Um, you know, I do believe that employees should get paid a fair wage. Now, when I say fair wage, I do not mean that every employee deserves CEO pay because most do not. But what I mean is a fair wage. Now, you know, I'm like this, like I said, it's another topic I could go on forever about, but oh, in the next episode, I'm going to be looking to talk about the wage issue and expand on this thought process now. But for now, you know, tipping culture is what I'm talking about. 
I'm thinking it's a little out of hand. I think it's gotten way out of hand, and I and I feel that there's going to be some uh, severe consequences that haven't been seen yet, but will be realized here in the not too distant future uh, if it keeps going. Uh, and I think it really does need to uh, come to an end, and that's just going to take more people getting on uh, the bandwagon with that, you know. But for now, like my opinion, don't like my opinion. This is the Controversial Mind Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are enjoying the content from the Controversial Mind Podcast, you can follow at iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube at the Controversial Mind Podcast, or on Podbean at controversialmindpodcast.podbean.com, or search up the Controversial Mind Podcast on any of these platforms. Thank you.